0: struggling with how to tell this show. On one hand, it's the story of a fantastic entrepreneur and he identifies an unmet need, determines if there's market potential, digs in to create a better product or service, even though it needs many, many revisions. And he brings it to market from insights to execution. And I could just tell the story of a great entrepreneur. But what I'm struggling with is how did he identify this unmet need and it wasn't through the usual circumstances market research or just that wow moment that we've all had when you have come up with a great idea for a product or service now, he identify this need in the most tragic of circumstances both his parents died at separate times in extended care homes and the burden of care and company and connection was on his shoulders as was the guilt of putting people you love away. But the pain he felt, the frustrations, the system that needed to be rethought has become his new purpose in life. What he wants to do is have people stay at home longer and take away that burden of care solely from the children. I think what he has to offer has the potential to help you or the people you love sometime in the future.
1: listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman presented by RBC.
0: My guest today is Nectary Sherry He's a CEO of, of youCareNet a business created based on his lover's mom and her mind tragically surrendering to the advances of her Alzheimer's disease and how she reverts to speaking Greek, the language of her childhood. Terry, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony. Before we get into you, CareNet, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this great entrepreneurial venture. But I want to first kind of set the stage. From what I understand, you were born in Athens, but your parents had already immigrated to Canada. Tell me a little bit about those early days and and why you were bouncing between continents. (laughs) All right. Excellent.
2: Yeah, so... uh... My parents had immigrated, as you said, in the late 50s to Canada. And when my mom was pregnant again, she wanted to go back to Greece and uh, make sure I was born with some good, strong sun and olive oil in the skin. But, you know, what I remember the most is growing up in the 60s in Montreal, especially within an an ethnic family, you had one foot in, you know, your ethnicity, which was Greek, and one foot in Canada. And, uh, you, you know, you had very strong cultural influences I guess what I remember the most growing up is we had a very strong sense of family, very strong sense of extended family and uh, taking care of each other. And the other thing I remember the most is, you know, my dad, my dad was always focused on, on doing what was right, on doing, you know, things that were good. He never was really impressed by people's glitz or... Or you know, glamour, as he said, he was more concerned and measured people and measured his life. That's the important thing. He measured his life by how much good he was able to give back and how much love he was able to give back to his community. And I think that really helped to influence and shape a lot of my life. Looking back, I realized that helped influence a
0: lot of who I am today. And your mom, the tragedy, obviously for both your parents, but I have to believe the worst possible situation for a mom is that there were other siblings, but they didn't survive. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. You know, my, my mom and dad um, had twin girls who were, would have been about, you know, born about five years before me. Unfortunately, uh, you know, this was a time with Canada before universal health care. This is a time in Canada, or really the time when anybody's a new immigrant, how fearful you are. The uh, twin girls came down with meningitis. One passed away within months of being born. And uh, the other one was left handicapped. And, you know, I jokingly said earlier, mom went back to Greece for, you know, making sure I got some olive oil and sun uh, in my skin. But really, she was so terrified of giving birth again in a country that she wasn't comfortable in that uh, she packed up my sister and, you know, and her pregnant belly and went back to Greece and, and gave birth to me there. We uh, we lost my my twin sister when I was about month 11, and uh, my dad came from Canada, packed us up, and we all moved back and uh, back to Montreal, and that's where I grew up. So yeah, it was a bit of a tragic situation for my parents, and you know, you ask what I remember, uh, yeah, I remember my mom being very, very sad at times, I couldn't intellectualize it when I was a kid growing up, but I remember having lots of love, you know, my parents always trying to be as happy as they could. and. And I think that's why my dad probably focused on, uh, on his community and his church and, and being as good of a man as he was possibly able to be. I'm sure that, those, that sequence had a big uh, impact on their life.
0: And, and let's talk a little bit about your life, because as reading your biography and up until 2015, you know you were a jet setter, you were a technology executive, you advised and consulted startups, digital marketing companies about scaling revenue, emerging solutions. I mean, you're right at the, that, that wave that was really starting to hit business in terms of, you know, having to really uh, embrace digital. How did you get that position of influence and why do you think you were so valued that people would actually bring you around the world uh, to to seek your advice?
2: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I I think it was a matter of being at the right place at the right time and also having some great insights. I think I'm a very empathetic person and I could really understand and read situations very well. Um, but I also have an opportunity to, to understand, you know, emerging trends, what's happening in the market. But more importantly, what are people asking for? And even if they weren't able to very explicitly state what they wanted, I was able to understand, you know, what they were implying and being able to connect with people very well. But more important, when you're in a position of influence, you're only in a position of influence because you could, motivate the people around you to do the best that they can. And I think what led to my success is I was always surrounded by really smart people, either people that were mentoring me and stretching me to be the best or people that supported me to be the best. And, and in turn, I was able to, you know, help them bring out the, the best of their knowledge, the best of their experience. And then collectively as a team, we were able to bring that forward to our customers on a global basis. And, and I think that's where the high impact came, right? Subject matter expertise global views, experiences from other places that you could bring forward into the local market and, and, you know, help somebody visualize and achieve what they want to achieve.
0: So I recently did a podcast interview with uh, Guy Kawasaki and who's one of the most influential people in Silicon Valley. He worked for Steve Jobs twice, turned him down a third time. And I was asking him a question I'm going to ask you, which is part of the essence of the show, what makes a great entrepreneur? And his answer was... In his experience, the ones that simply are out there to chase profit or fame to be the, you know, the next Elon Musk almost invariably fail. And the ones that are an entrepreneur to change the world to matter are the ones that have a fighting chance. Do you agree with that? Uh,
2: (laughs) You know, I, I completely agree with it. The reason why you got a little chuckle is one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur is not running out of cash and as much as uh, you want to change the world and you want to do what's right and you're driven by doing what's right. Yeah, I agree with Guy 100%. And quite frankly, we as a company, I mean, we're looking to maximize our social impact and a lot of what we're doing and helping to improve the life of adult children and their parents. Uh, We do for free, right? We're just really trying to change the way that we deliver care to seniors and Trying to change, you know, keep seniors out of what I refer to as warehouses of death, which is all of these assisted care facilities and long-term care facilities, and help to keep them at home. And you know, we're doing that with an eye of uh, maximizing the health and, and wellness of seniors and, and not maximizing our profit. So, yeah, I agree with that. I fully agree with it.
0: Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters. Nick Terry Takis is a consultant who jet sets around the world helping entrepreneurs and founders scale their business. But he gets grounded when we return. He's the only child, and as his aging parents' health deteriorate, the responsibilities of navigating the healthcare system fall squarely on his shoulders.
2: My experience shows seniors do not want to show any weakness. Seniors do not want to let you know when they're starting to become frail or maybe what we think is just funny moms, you know. Forgetting certain things is actually signs of maybe uh, cognitive issues with them they don't want to show any weaknesses so they'll never talk about getting in-home care when I talk to seniors they always say you care about my physical well-being I care about my emotional uh, well-being and the isolation I have
1: you're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman presented by RBC
0: Terry Sherry Takis is an entrepreneur who chose to make a difference to his mom in terms of how she was cared for and in doing so he might just make a difference to yours so in 2015 you know this rock star consultant you suddenly get grounded as your parents health starts to deteriorate what were the signs and when did you start realizing that your life was going to change alongside it so
2: dementia and alzheimer's people living with dementia is probably one of the worst diseases it's one of those slow diseases that steals your life. And in retrospect, if I look back to the 10 years leading up to 2015, there were so many signs, but I was just unaware, right? I don't know if it was naivety or just lack of education and awareness to see those signs. But I think what changed it is, you know, I came home in the end of 2015 to visit my parents and their health was deteriorating. Flew back to Europe to spend Christmas with my family and uh, they landed in Montreal on the 7th of January. Went to visit my parents in assisted care and I spent four days doing vigil thinking that my mom was going to pass away. And I literally spent four days, three days on the chair, on on her chair sleeping. The fourth day I realized this was too painful for my mom and I needed to maybe get her to the hospital. When we arrived at hospital, I was completely shocked to find out that uh, she was dying from dehydration. The woman had 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 gotten a pneumonia while I was gone over the holidays. And uh, what led to her hallucinations and what led to her end of life at that period was her extreme state of dehydration. As soon as the hospital uh, rehydrated her, it was amazing to see her coming back. I mean, she still had dementia. She still had, you know lack of ability to function in so many ways. But she was in bed. She was smiling. We got another 11 months, or at least I got another 11 months of life uh, with my mom, which, you know, always living and traveling and being away from them was 11 very precious months for me that helped me reconcile a lot of missed time. And uh, being there to care for her, those last 11 months of her life were really important.
0: And one of the things that happened with this disease that she – in the hospital, instead of speaking English or French, which she did fluently, she reverts back to speaking Greek. And that always, that becomes a problem because there's a few caregivers in Montreal that speak Greek.
2: Yeah. 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 That's what happened. I think that happens with many people that have dementia, right? You lose your ability to, you know, you lose your knowledge and you revert back to an earlier state in life. And yeah, that's what happened. I mean, she forgot her English and Greek and her French. She had to really be shoved to, uh, to a situation where she wasn't comfortable in, and then she would react and respond. But up until that point, she just couldn't understand what was going on around her.
0: You kind of open your eyes to the fact that she's gonna struggle with communicating. And the first thing you do is you come up with this idea of sticky notes. And that sticky notes will eventually lead you to what you're doing today. So take us back to those early days where you're just trying to find some kind of solution for this language barrier that's happening.
2: Yeah. Okay. That's great. As a matter of fact, I, I need to give full credit to the staff at the uh, long-term care home my mom was in because it was really a wonderful nurse that came in and, and told me that, that you know, it's just too difficult to communicate. As you said, nobody spoke Greek and she asked me to, you know, translate into phonetic English, different words, uh, you know, chair, bed, sit. Cause what we found was, you know, people with dementia, they don't understand what you want of them. And even though you're looking to do something good, like you want to you know, bathe them or help them get out of their clothes into their PJs and go to bed, they don't understand. So they just think you're manhandling them and inevitably they're going to react with aggression. So this, you know, this beautiful nurse's uh, suggestion that I put posting notes on the wall that translated you know, 20 or 30 activities from Greek into English just you know, spawned this whole idea that, wow, we should have this for all you know, for as many foreign languages as we can. And then that took a life of its own. So those, you know, those little post in notes turned out to be a poster that uh, we have translated, I think, in 18 languages. And, and over and above, having activities translated into different languages, it actually has a little narrative where you can actually introduce somebody. So in my case, I was able to introduce my mom and say, hi, I'm Vula, I'm Greek. Prior to retirement, prior to dementia, I was a teacher what makes me very happy is if you tell me I'm beautiful and, you know, give me a little, a little, you know, pat on my hand, that would just calm me down. And sure enough, you know, the 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 people working the facility would come in and see this narrative. And and all of a sudden, the whole interaction between them and my mom just improved. And any time my mom was agitated, they knew exactly what to do, right? They just had to say, Vula, you're so pretty today. And she would just calm down. So,
0: Did you even know back then? I mean, you must have felt so happy as a son, you know, trying to improve your mom's life. But did you realize back then that this was the the seeds that would plant in and, and grow into you Care net which we're gonna spend some time talking about. Did you see back then that you're gonna make this your life's calling or is it just simply I want to make my mom's life better?
2: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I I've been obsessed with making my mom and dad's life better and making the life of seniors better for a long time. So I guess being a lonely child, I always felt guilty. I moved away from home as soon as I finished university. As soon as my daughter was born, I had the opportunity to move from Canada to California. So that means, you know, my parents wouldn't see their only grandchild that often. Long story short, but I've been tinkering with, you know, innovation for seniors. First thing, you know, I tinkered with was coming up with a very easy to use I guess like a Windows interface so my mom could actually do video chats with my daughter without my mom having to know, you know, how to use a computer, right? So there's all these things. And over the years, I was struggling with how do I, you know, how do I be a remote caregiver? And, and in speaking with my colleagues and, and clients on a global basis, I realized I wasn't alone. Everybody was suffering the exact same thing. You know, no matter what country you're in or what your social economic status was, you know, everybody was suffering the same thing. So. Yeah, I think it was a sequence of events. I never realized all those conversations that I was having and all the things I was tinkering in was going to lead to you, Karenette. But I think it was a, you know, it, it was a process, right, that got me to where I was, as opposed to just
0: one, mo- you know, one
2: flash moment of this is it.
0: Take us to 2020, the next horrible blow with your dad in a in a facility. I don't think I'll ever forget
2: it. I think one of the worst experiences of the pandemic was. One for the family members, right? Losing our family and not being able for them. But I can't imagine the fear of uh, being in the hospital in a long-term care facility, being isolated and uh, not knowing what's going on. You know, you're you're old. You don't realize there's a pandemic. You don't realize the reason why people are not coming in to see you is because there's a pandemic. You don't realize the reason when people are coming in, they're wearing all this safety equipment is because there's a pandemic. I can't imagine how terrified you are. But yeah, it was a really lonely experience. Um, I guess on my side, I was very lucky because the, the doctor in the long-term care facility knew I lived in Toronto, knew that I'd do monthly visits to come up to visit my dad. And uh, oddly enough, my dad was transferred into that long-term care facility out of his assisted care facility three weeks after the pandemic broke out. And we'll talk about that down the road because, you know, uh, the way the healthcare system works is just horrendous. But, yeah, it was terrifying. You know, on one hand, I wanted to be there for my dad. On the other hand, I was terrified. COVID was new. Nobody really knew what the uh, implications or the repercussions were. I was terrified every time I had to put in all the safety equipment. I wanted to spend time with my dad. But I was afraid if I would maybe catch it. I was isolated in a hotel on... Uh, Highway six forty. Most of the hotels were closed, so here I was in, uh, in a hotel. I think we we're only four of us in the whole hotel. The, the experience was horrible. And even when I would visit my family, they were so terrified. Uh, God bless them. They would sit on their veranda, and I'd be on the sidewalk about you know seven eight meters away, and we'd have a conversation. They too were terrified. Nobody knew what was going on. It was just a very cold, isolating, and a very, very lonely period. I could imagine for my father, it just must have been horrendous for him.
0: And you lost your dad to COVID in that facility, didn't you?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: All right, it's Tony Chapman, this is Chatter That Matters. When we come back, pandemic is hitting all of us like a sledgehammer, but it's a wrecking ball when it's hitting those in hospitals and long-term care. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, a big shout out to aspiring entrepreneurs. The Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship is part of Western University, The Globe and Mail, and RBC have come together to create The Founder's Journey. It's an online entrepreneurial process course and it's taught by award-winning professors. It's free and it'll help you turn your startup dreams into reality. Go to thefoundersjourney.ca to learn more. Entrepreneurship matters to you, it matters to Canada, and it matters to RBC.
1: You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC.
0: My guest today is Nectary Sherry Takis. His entrepreneurial journey is forged in the pain of seeing his parents' health deteriorate. They say a picture's worth a thousand words, and there's a picture that I'll never forget. It's a shot of an aging woman, long-term care facility, looking out the window, holding her hand against the glass while the grandchild Holds her hand against the glass. And to me, it really signified this horrific barrier that we put up and, and separated families. And you talk about in an interview that, you know, the personal pain, and in turn, how that pain almost fed and fueled your appetite to make sure others wouldn't have this sense of isolation and loss. So, this is where I want to talk about you, Karen, and, and how your mom. That posted notes, the conversations with your friends, the guilt you felt, moving away, losing your dad—bring it all together now and talk about what you're doing with you, Karenette, so that other people out there might not have to go through what your parents did and obviously what you did.
2: You know, at the time, I thought we were doing everything that was right. So, you know, we went through that that whole best practice, because I can't think of a better word, right? You downsize from your home, you go into independent senior living, and then from there you get into assisted care, and then from there you go into long-term care. And I concluded that's the worst thing you could do. If your parents are young, they're dynamic, they're healthy, putting them into you know senior living where they're golfing and swimming and having cocktails is freaking fantastic. But unless that's the situation, then it's the worst thing to do, because every time you move them, uh, it just gets harder for them, right? Their whole social circle and their environment starts to close down. They they're moved one level and one step further away from their family, from their friends, from their community. And you know, I'm lucky. My parents made it into their 90s, right? My mom made it till to 91. My dad to 94. I mean, th- that's incredible. But at that age, you know, m- most of your friends are gone. At that age, the only people you have around you is your is your neighbors. And uh, the more you remove yourself from your home, and uh, yeah, the more isolating it is. So anyways, I I came to the conclusion that parents need to stay, aging seniors need to stay in their homes. That's the first thing. Second, I never went through such a a stressful experience as I did trying to be a remote caregiver for my parents. I think the biggest problem, and I think the thing that I would fault seniors on, and I'm experiencing this now with my aunt, and my cousin, and with my neighbors, they refuse to acknowledge that they need help. And they believe that by saying, I need help, that they're showing weakness as opposed to realizing this is an opportunity to, you know, enliven and infresh and refresh them and keep them, you know, give them a sense of belonging and stay within their community and their family by having somebody keep keep them either company or helping run their errands for them, help them do things so they can stay independent. And anyways, it was, you know, it was really stressful. I've constantly found myself flying in, taking time off from work, taking time off from my family. And, you know, I use the word fly, but whether you're working in Toronto and your parents are living in Burlington, you got to deal with, you know, an hour and a half to two hours of traffic or whether you're flying from Manitoba into B.C. I mean, you know, we live in a very mobile and very – in a community where everybody's really distant. So I find I would always parachute myself in, try and get the situation under control get a caregiver from my parents, stay a couple of weeks, and then fly back out to home and uh, and then bang, you know, the next crisis happens and you wouldn't even know the next crisis was there, right? It's what I refer to as dealing with the black hole. I mean, you, you think you're doing things right, but there's it was just like a black hole. You never got any information. You never knew what was going on. And that helped shape a lot of what I'm doing and uh, my team are doing with uh, Eucarnet.
0: So what's UcareNet doing? Like if I was somebody that was dealing with an aging parent, what are you helping me in this journey to try to bring them, a, put that smile on their face, to to let them stay at home longer? What, what What's some of the things that you offer?
2: Yeah, so we really focus on uh, making it easy for people like you and me to take care of our parents. So there's a couple of things that we offer, and this is where I talk about trying to maximize our social impact. So we offer a, a community, a marketplace. We have over 5,500 independent care providers signed up between Ontario and British Columbia. So we make it easier for you, you know, to match up and give you a list of care providers that best meet your need. And for me, uh, you know, the need is not just a skill set. Do they have to be a PSW or do they need to understand palliative or cancer care or or um, dementia care it's also you know culturally is there a strong fit right can we match them up based on interest you know sewing or book reading or gardening just to make sure there's a better fit so the parents would be happier so i i what i like to say is we make it easier faster and simpler for for you to manage for you know to hire care but also to manage a remote health care plan for your parents so we do have this community we match you up uh, we're, you know, we say we maximize a social impact because we don't uplift a uh, care provider's rate. If they charge $20, they get paid $20, they charge you $20. We don't, you know, uplift that to 25 so we can make profit. Really, we're focusing on bringing the cost of healthcare down as much as we can to make it affordable for people like you and me to get care for our parents. And conversely, we're trying to uh, create some economic wealth. I mean, these are very loving people that unfortunately are Accustomed to working for minimum wage, they live, you know, at poverty level. So we don't want to take any of their money away. We want to give them an opportunity to make an extra 30 or 40 percent over minimum wage and maximize their earnings as well. So that's one part. But I think what we what we really focus on is bringing a level of intelligence and data to to you. So um earlier when I talked about the black hole, what I found really hard for me was I never knew if the care provider showed up, when they showed up, what they did, what condition, you know, physically and emotionally my parents were in. So we have an app that basically, you know, fits on your phone and lets you from the comfort of anywhere you are, anywhere across the world, to be able to better collaborate with your care provider. You get notifications, you know, it's three o'clock, they showed up to the house. It's six o'clock, you get a notification they're leaving. They got to give you a quick report as to what they did that day, as well as what the physical and emotional condition of your parent was. So, you know, just to give you the insight so that you could better monitor and help prevent the next crisis from happening just by having better data and health data available to you.
0: How do you make your money then if you're you're offering so much of this free? Yeah, so it's from the app
2: itself. So we, I believe that uh, the value I think, first of all, there's value in, in both of what we're doing. Uh, we're very much focused on having a positive impact on society, so I don't want to capitalize on the the in-home care portion, but I think the biggest value is providing to you the family, access to all this data and helping you better collaborate. So we have an app it's optional if you want, you download it, you use it, you pay us a monthly fee. There's also a big emergence in the market of the gig economy as we refer to it, so we're also helping to unlock the uh you know the marketplace for all these workers that want to get into the market so we have an app for them as well so conversely if you're a care provider and you want to be able to track your earnings bill your customer uh do electronic invoicing then you could also use the other side of the app that helps automate and automate your business right and gives you all the small business management tools you need to be an independent business person
0: as you're building your team you know we're seeing a world where great talent is becoming a scarce resource or high in demand. What advice can you give to entrepreneurs to animate their desired outcome, to to present it in a way that people go, I want to work because I also want to change the world versus how much are you paying me? I think uh,
2: people follow people that have a dream. People have to understand, you know, are you motivated? What's your motivation behind this? And do you have a vision? And, you know, can you... provide enthusiasm and and, you know a high level of energy to your team and i think if you can then people will follow you at the end of the day tony everybody needs to make a living right you can't expect your team not to need or not to want their paycheck at the end of the day because they have to feed their families they have to dress their kids but i think it's really important to be able to have a positive mindset and a very very clear vision of where you want to be and then try and hire people that bring the talent that you're looking for No matter how talented people are, unless they're there to support your mission, then uh, you will fail. That's been my experience over the years.
1: You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC.
2: So we have a very friendly and easy to use senior app that really is meant for the senior to allow him to jump on the internet and stay connected with their family. It's driven by two touches to the screen they can do video conferencing with their family. They can look at pictures. But we also have easy-to-use games that they could play with their grandchildren, which are meant to exercise the cognitive modality of the senior, but also the grandchild.
0: My guest is Nick Terry Cherry Takis. The personal pain and helplessness he felt as the only child with his aging parents feeling health led to UCareNet. This company provides innovative digital e-health platforms to improve the quality of life for seniors and to bring peace of mind to the children, where the responsibility falls on their shoulders. Hollywood celebrates this, this sense of the entrepreneur, the swashbuckler, the overnight riches, you know, the next unicorn. But as Arlene Dickinson talks about in one of my podcasts, it's one of the loneliest places to be. It's a place where you need to go all in. And it often comes with a personal price, your work-life balance. From what I understand, and, and this is too personal, we, we don't need to cover it, but Your marriage failed as you were really focused on building this business. Is that fair? I think there were two key things.
2: One was it caught myself and my ex-wife at a time where we were both parachuting across the Atlantic caring for our mutual parents. So over a three or four year period, we ended up spending five or six months apart because she would be in Canada when I was in Greece or she would be in Greece when I was in Canada. And then, uh, you know, eventually when I said, okay, this is what I'm doing, I'm going I'm to you know, try and tackle this and help other people not to have to go through the same thing we're doing. Yeah, just the idea of the risk and, uh, you know, and the fear was just a little bit too much for, uh, for her to overcome. And yeah, I think the combination of the two things uh, led to the end of the marriage.
0: What advice can you give to entrepreneurs on trying to preserve some form of work-life balance?
2: the things that uh that work for me is i try and stay very very grounded i try and surround myself with people that are positive and and not toxic there's just so many difficulty things to you know difficult things to deal with when you're an entrepreneur if you have toxicity around you it's just worse so i don't meditate but i try and go for my walks every day i try and exercise every day i just try and internalize why I'm doing this and what's important and what my end goal is and keep focusing on that, visualizing it as much as I can. It's not easy. You know, you don't wake up every day happy and smiles, but reverting back to that place that helps keep me calm is uh, what keeps me going
0: for the next day. So what's next for you, Karenette, and what's next for you? You know, it's a
2: really exciting time over and above what we're doing with uh, home care. We have a great relationship and a partnership with uh, William Oster Health System, which is one of the big hospitals in Brampton, specifically Dr. Martin Chasen. We've designed a a virtual palliative care app. This is a continuation of what we're doing with seniors, right? Almost 90% of seniors are at their end of life. So this app is very much focused on helping people at end of life. So people who are classified as having a terminal illness be able to stay at home and receive the care that they need at home. And I'm hoping, you know, within the next 12 to 18 months, our two key platforms, our, our home care, remote home care management platform with our virtual palliative care platform will all come into one. We'll actually be able to provide these services on uh, on a national and international basis. And then, you know, what's for me? I'd love to uh, support myself as I am right now with a very smart and strong management team. I'd like to be able to export what we're doing to uh, other countries across the globe. I'm not sure if the word is continuing innovating because it's going to take so long. But if I could help put a smile on, on a person who's going through end of life or if I could help put a smile on somebody who's trying to manage and, and care for their parents and is just exhausted by the level of stress,
0: I'd be very happy and feel an accomplishment in my life. Speaking with a smile on a face, I have to believe your parents are looking down from the heavens smiling at their only son. I like to think that as well. It's sort
2: of the thing that keeps me motivated every day.
0: So I always end my show with the three things that I take away. And the first is the death of your twin sisters to meningitis. And I have to believe it impacted your family in such an immense way, but out of it, it became a family that instead of being angry and bitter, did everything they could to help others around them. The second thing that I really like what you talk about is people like to follow people with the dream. And I think it's incredible advice to entrepreneurs if you have a dream, if you can picture a desired outcome, and sometimes that dream looks like it's 10,000 miles away. But if you keep animating it and believing it and ensuring it, you'll attract the kind of talent that that dream deserves because that's a dream about making the world better and the final thing is just how you embody the name of your company you care i mean it's you care net but you truly care as you said if i can put a smile on a senior's face and i can take some of the pain points away from the child that now has to look after the parent great job done so for all of that more i'm absolutely uh, honored you're part of it and if i want to get hold of you care net what's the easiest way to do that
2: www.ucarnet.com. And we have our toll free number there. And you could just reach out to us. We have our chat. And I'm generally on the chat at least five, six hours a day. So we're very accessible. And if anybody wants to speak to me directly, they could just call me on my number, which is 905 978 0392. Again, 905 978 0392. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody that calls.
0: Joining me now is one of my favorite guests. Her name's Amy Deacon. She's the founder of Toronto Wellness Counseling. She's my go-to person at anything to do with mental health because she just, not only she has the sort of experience and education, she just has incredible empathy. So, Amy, welcome
3: back. Thank you so much, Tony. So happy to be here.
0: So the show that I just did is quite tragic. It's it's about a guest who loses both of his parents to COVID and both at different times in different retirement homes. I want to first talk about his mom because his mom went into a retirement home with early stage dementia speaking three languages but very quickly she lost her ability to to speak in English and French and just went back to her mother tongue which was Greek is that is that something that happens
3: It's absolutely normal it's part of the horrific nature of dementia but what we often describe to people is you know, particularly with something like Alzheimer's disease uh, or early onset dementia, you think about a person's life as a pile of paper, pile of chapters. And when dementia comes around, it acts like a fan and it blows away the top chapters. And so what people are often left with is their memory and what has been most fortified in their childhood. So languages go away. We mistake our son for our husband or then perhaps even our father so we really revert back to those early childhood memories
0: amy parents want to remain in their homes versus be moved in a retirement home and I imagine more so after the pandemic opened our eyes to the realities of what could happen there how do you help people cope with making that decision and once it's made help them live with
3: it. So by no means is that an easy decision and no child that's gone through that process would describe it as a cakewalk, right? But there's a couple of things that we really like to instill and support people with. And the first one is that pain is part of the process, right? It's not an easy decision. And kids, children can do everything right on paper. Every single one of their decisions is rooted in safety and the well-being of the parent. And the parent can still react harshly, right? And so really buffering people with the knowledge of what to expect, what the transition might be like. And then the other thing that I think is so important that we do is really buffer these adult children with their own support and their own self-care and give them space to unpack that grief, that guilt, that. Um, but we find that it, it is important to realize that it truly is part of the process.
0: I've often heard from caregivers who are dealing with their parents who have dementia or Alzheimer's that when they come back from visiting them, they sort of shrug their shoulders and saying, I'm not sure that my parent knew who I, who I was. Is that visit still important? And what advice can you give to the people that are coming and walking away from that visit, disappointed and so sad?
3: Your visit is absolutely important. The person might not remember the details but they will remember the tone in which you spoke to them. They will remember the emotion that they felt, the safety that they felt, the connection that they felt. And what we often encourage people to do is to go back to almost more primal ways of connecting. Touch can be huge. Just, you know, stroking somebody's arm. The other really, really big one, specifically for dementia is music. Playing music that they perhaps grew up with. You might see them light up in a way that they didn't light up, you know, before. And I know it can be painful that they don't know whether you're, you know, their brother or their father, or they can't remember your name, but that's the disease. That's the illness. And I still think that we have an obligation and a responsibility to still love that person despite their confusion that shouldn't that shouldn't result in us withdrawing our love from them.
0: If people wanted to get hold of you I know you're busy but if they wanted to get hold of you or if you want to help them deal with this sort of the sandwich generation caught between aging parents and kids coming out of university with a lot of debt and everything that goes with that, what's the best way they can do that?
3: You can reach us connect with us at Torontowellnesscounseling.com We're on Instagram at Toronto underscore wellness. We have some pretty incredible therapists that have dedicated their careers to supporting caregivers whose parents are going through the aging process, transitioning to long-term care, having to balance the pros and cons of that decision. So please note that there are some really amazing experts we have on our team that could be of support.
0: Amy Deacon, you need your own TV show? I wish people could see you because your eyes just light up because you really, truly are someone that cares. And and for that, I thank you deeply once again for being on Chatter That Matters.
3: Thank you so much, Tony.
1: Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.
0: It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.